Businesses should always look for ways to take advantage of the latest trends. The key is to know what marketing trends are worth your engagement because they're impactful to your target audience. Knowing different engagement tactics, you'll have an advantage in capitalizing on the most relevant trends to give your brand a savvy marketing edge. Tune in to Dominate Your Market podcast as Chris Walker shares how businesses may enhance marketing's contribution to qualifying pipeline and revenue while decreasing customer acquisition expenditures. Welcome to the Dominate Your Market podcast, where we interview business leaders, CEOs, and founders to get their insights on how you can grow your business efficiently, build an amazing company, and still have a life. Today's guest is Chris Walker, who is the founder and CEO of Refine Labs, a progressive demand generation firm that challenges the status quo in B2B marketing. He is also a dreamer, artist, and athlete. We'll have to talk about that a little bit. Chris, welcome to the show. Michael, great to be here. And let's make a note for the team to up- update that uh, company description. We are saying goodbye to the demand gen category and paving oh, our way. Nice. Okay. We'll have to talk about that because I was going to bring up demand gen as part of my question. So that'll be, well, I'm sure you can answer demand gen questions anyways, but it's all good. Yeah, it'll be the first time I talk about it publicly. So it'll be fun. Ah, nice. Okay. So give our listeners a little background on you, where you came from, how you got to where you're at now. All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Chris Walker. I currently run a 100-plus person um, firm called Refine Labs. We help about 50 companies simultaneously experiment with their net new revenue programs and drive millions of dollars in pipeline, while also creating the infrastructure to be able to measure in a way that works in 2023, to be able to... set KPIs that work in 2023 in order to plan appropriately for 2023. We have all this proprietary infrastructure that our our experiments run off of. Um, And so where I started was I started as an engineer. I think some of the people can, by my description, sort of understand that I came from an engineering background. And then I went into a lot of like sort of business management consulting for about four years, doing projects for how to improve gross margins, how to streamline new product development, how to get customer insights to drive product strategy. So I spent a lot of my early career doing real business things in the context of small businesses somewhere between 10 and 100 million in revenue per year. And then I spent the next set of my career inside of venture funded companies, understanding how are things going right now? Un- discovering the gap, the huge gap between what companies are doing in their go-to-market strategies versus what buyers are doing and how they're researching and discovering, and just seeing this incredible divergence since 2015, that companies, because of how they've structured their measurement and how they structure their organization and teams and goals, don't aren't able to react to how buyers are changing inside of their go-to-market strategy. Um, and so I created this company in 2019. I started it by myself as a consultant and have grown it rapidly over the past three and a half years. Um, on the back of understanding that there's a significantly better way to do go-to-market overall, I'm talking marketing sales, ops altogether, um, that I wanted to build and pave the way for, for, the, for the market. I saw that how lead gen was plaguing companies, how outbound SDR effectiveness and performance have continued to decline based on how buyers are moving in different directions. I've watched companies try and just install new technology and hire a better agency and do all of these things, sort of surface level things, by not, but not recognizing that the problem is actually so much deeper. The real problem is they don't measure appropriately, that they don't have the right frameworks and, and ways to think about it. And they get all their information from technology vendors and analyst firms that get paid by those technology vendors. Um, and so we're paving a new way called revenue R&D. 
that has standardized measurement and attribution across all of our customers. Our customers can buy into that. And then we can set benchmarks for how all these companies are doing overall. When we're comparing pipeline between this Series C company and this Series B company, that we can know that we, when we say pipeline, it means exactly the same thing between both Salesforce instances. So there's been a lot of innovation on the infrastructure component. Um, we have a proprietary research library, a product called The Vault, where we, through the scale of executing at more than 200 companies over the past three and a half years, we rapidly develop new intellectual property significantly faster than an individual team. So we have intellectual property and best practices on how to run something as simple as you know LinkedIn ads or how to build the content and creative that fuels a LinkedIn ad, or how to set up your dashboards and report to your board or your executive team, um, how to set up your attribution. So across the board, we just have a lot of this IP stating that the old places where you got the information about how to do attribution and things like that were flawed and biased. And so we're just out here providing a, a new way to think about it, leaving the demand gen ecosystem that is sales-oriented, short-term, tactics-focused, aligned to meetings with the sales team and moving to a revenue R&D system, which is process focused, revenue accountable, um, tactic as agnostic and tightly aligned with the sales organization. And so that's what we're doing here. And I'm really excited to share more about it. That's pretty cool. You know, you've only been around. I didn't know that. So since 2019, so literally like three years, a little over three years. A little over three years. It's been a cool run. The first that's year awesome. we, first year we did... 600k in revenue. Second year we did two million. Third year we did six, and this year we're on track to do twenty. Congrats, man! That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I think I think what's what a lot of CEOs and business owners are seeing out there across the board is what they call ineffective marketing. Marketing doesn't work, right? Even to the point I've been doing marketing for twenty years. Marketing to me is like it's like. You might as well say you're a real estate agent. You might as well say you're a mortgage broker. You might as well say you're an insurance, right? Because anybody that even sees marketing in a, in a title, right? I had marketing on my LinkedIn way back in the day. And I thought, okay, something's not right here. Like I'm not clicking with anybody. And I saw right away in my title, marketing. I mean, t tell me what your, your thoughts are on that in the sense that without marketing, obviously, you're dead in the water because marketing equals visibility equals all of that. That so we, if if a business owner is saying or a CEO is going, yeah, marketing doesn't work, that's a pretty flawed mentality, right? So I'm about to share a perspective that when most people hear this initially, are going to react negatively, and and you're going to think that I'm wrong. I challenge you to move past that initial feeling and actually listen logically to what I'm about to say. My belief, and this has just come to me recently, is that the overall function of marketing is broken. And the reason is because over time, we've just jammed more and more things into the bucket of marketing that used to just be product strategy, customer insights, brand. And then in 2010, we were like, oh, marketing needs to be revenue accountable. Let's throw all of this like pre-sales or sales-oriented activities and call it demand gen. And let's have that in the marketing team because they use email and and Facebook ads to do it. So it must be marketing, right? And then we got this like, you know, all this technology craze. And now we got marketing operations in here. And what you have is you have a group of functions that all have competing priorities and different needs of autonomy inside of the company. And so what I'm suggesting is that companies consider what I'm doing at my company right now, which is breaking marketing as you know it today 
into three distinct functions with three distinct leaders that report into the CEO. The first role is going to be what I call product strategy and innovation. Inside of that would be things like product marketing, PR, category design, customer insights, that type of the strategic work. And you have people focused on that. Then you have another team called RevOps that runs all of the data and tools. Over time, we've tried to take RevOps and make it a holistic function that thinks about strategy and enablement and data and tools and all this different stuff. When you look at how the function is divided between internally focused and efficiency focused versus externally focused to customers and effectiveness focused, this function needs to be focused on efficiency and internal focus. So I suggest that role be limited to data and tools. All of the things that we want RevOps to do, in addition to more things, fall into a new function that I'm calling revenue R&D. Revenue R&D is the scientific process of advancing net new revenue programs from a concept into fully integrated into your company, delivering millions of dollars in pipeline using the scientific method and standardized data. Um, the whole goal here is to have a pipeline of innovation, just like you have for your product, you have pipeline of in innovation for your revenue system. And so this, this shorter range oriented effectiveness function with a lot of autonomy is able to innovate in a different way than your demand gen team or your RevOps team are because of the organizational structure that you put it in. This team is going to be running net new experiments. They're going to be evaluating programs that are running like your SDR outbound program, like your brand plays or your PR. This is the command center that drives your overall go-to-market strategy to deliver shorter range things. So they're not out here saying who's your ICP or what products should we build. They're saying, what are the best opportunities for us to drive revenue both now and in the next 12 months? And all of the, the strategic parts of RevOps the analytics, how are we going to decide on our attribution models and how we do it? How, what KPIs are we going to report and how are they going to be measured? What is the infrastructure that we need in our business to make good decisions? And all of that strategic work falls into the revenue R&D function. And so I think that companies should really consider that, that three-tiered split. It's what I'm doing at my company right now. And I look forward to sharing a lot more about it. To get a little bit more onto your question, I mean, I, I think I said a lot there about the how I think marketing overall is kind of, kind of, uh, I think it needs to change. I think that over the past 20 years, the def the definition of marketing and what it means to people has changed so significantly that, uh, I think it's time to reevaluate whether it's even right to structure the company like that anymore. But you know, what's interesting too. And, and um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I've had so many brutal conversations with CEOs and owners on how much should, should you invest in marketing and advertising in your business? Right. And, and, and the, the clients that, that I work with, you know, 5 million, 20 million, 30 million. So a lot smaller than what you're working with, but it, it still begs the same question, right? Which is what should a CEO or owner, what numbers should they embrace in the sense of, let's say, compared to revenue, how much should they invest in marketing and advertising in your opinion? Check this out. <laughs> 20 years ago, when companies were planning their go-to-market, they started with the salesperson and then they worked backwards. Okay. We, how much revenue, net new revenue do we need to get? Okay. How many, what's the average quota attainment and how much revenue a rep does in a year? How many reps are we going to need to hire this year? What's going to be their ramp time? How many meetings are we going to need for them? How many MQLs are we going to need for them? Okay. How much money are we going to have to spend in, in advertising to get that many MQLs? 
A lot of companies still do that today. I'm suggesting the exact opposite here, which is that you drive your sales headcount model based on how much demand your company can create and capture. And so instead of saying, we need to get this much revenue, we need five reps, they need to be hired at this time, you say, we're able to drive this much amount of demand, which is leading to this many meetings, which is converting to this many qualified opportunities. How many reps do we need to work this many qualified opportunities? Um, and then you have a much different structure in your business. You set up the business to grow at the rate that you have that you that you can do efficiently, that you almost you don't guarantee, but you significantly weight toward all reps being a hundred percent attainment. And the focus of the headcount model is how and then the focus of the business is how much more demand that can we create so we can hire more reps. Um, companies do it in the reverse because of what they did. And it just leads to like the stati the statistic about quote uh, sales rep attainment in tech companies is just absolutely absurd right now. It doesn't make any sense to be doing it this way. It sets a lot of people up for failure. It's hard to find a good company. I talk to a lot of individual contributor reps and understand where it's going, where they get promised that they're going to make 220 or 240 OTE. And they actually end up making 140 and are on PIP after six months because the company doesn't have enough demand to feed them. And they overhire reps thinking that it's still the 2000s where you just cold call people and get meetings and funnel it through. And buyers just simply don't buy this way anymore. They're resistant to those things. It's a huge flaw in, in company planning and go to market. And hopefully it's helpful to some people as you approach your 2023 plan. Yeah, I like the idea that you flipped it. That, that's good because I, I, think, I think marketing for a lot of businesses is still very antiquated. Their approach is so old and so slow and so ineffective. So it's refreshing to hear you talk about how you basically flipped almost everything, which is kind of cool. And then that, you know, the revenue R&D, I, th I think that's a very interesting model. How has that been um, accepted with your client base? And when you explain it and you, and you go into it in more detail, is there any pushback from C-suite people? Are they all embracing it with open arms? First, um, you said that market, a lot of companies have marketing that's stale and outdated. When you split the function into three separate functions, product strategy and innovation, revenue R&D and RevOps, what you actually have in that company is you have a marketing team that's focused on strategy and customer insights and product strategy and things like that. You need that function. You want strong strategic leaders, to, marketing professionals to be doing that. But you need a separate function that is taking those inputs of strategy and insights, and they're going to activate them in the market to drive short, shorter range revenue and pipeline. Um, and so when you have a boring marketing function or as perceived as stale, it's because you're not investing in that specific part of what you call marketing today. Right. Uh, so yeah. So wanted to go on that little tangent, but let's... No, I love uh, it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, so 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 tell me. Um, so let's get let's get onto your revenue R and D. Okay. So, so how is that being accepted from your client base, and and even when your 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 sales team is talking to people that aren't clients yet, and you're explaining that, um, are you getting lots of cross-eyed looks? Are you getting a lot of clarity? Are people getting it? Are they embracing it? Yeah. So a couple of core things to note. One, our revenue R&D process is in beta with probably six companies right now. Of those six companies, they are looking to be some of the most successful that we've worked with overall, both from a awesome. level alignment standpoint, revenue and overall clarity, um, team, their team being aligned with what we're doing. So we're seeing a lot of good signals on that. And the aim is to have this rolled out 
and commercialized in January. So that's one piece. Okay. Um, another thing is what you just, when you just talk to people, this makes such logical sense. It's like, what are we missing in marketing right now? Rev executives don't have confidence in what's working or what's not. Marketing is skewing attribution reports and attribution models to make their stuff look better, even though it hurts the company to do it that way, but they're incentivized to do it because they're either bonused or gold on it. That we don't have adequate customer insights when we're going to do this. We don't have strong messaging and positioning when we're going out and doing this. We don't know what the what are the right things to do or what are what aren't the right things to do today, not what HubSpot did to build their company in 2011, <laughs> but what about today? Um, and so I just think this function needs something like this. And the last piece is the, it's, it's a lack of, when you really distill it, it's a lack of process. What I'm installing is infrastructure and process into companies to manage their revenue innovation, to always know what's working and what's not based on objective standardized data, to have a clear way to measure things so that the teams around them that are gold on that are not changing how they measure things in order to make their stuff look better to when you go out and try and build a podcast or you know start running LinkedIn ads or things like that, that the executive team understands that that's an experiment. It is not going to be driving pipeline this month and you shouldn't build it into your plan. Um, the, like They do this with products. They do the exact same thing that I'm communicating with products and it makes logical sense to put this in a revenue function. Um, so um, we're basically seeing heads nod, right? I, it's my job to create more clarity and more documentation and things like that about how we think about it so people can internalize and actually go and execute. But the concept overall makes clear and perfect sense. The last thing that I'll drop is that most people up to this point have seen my company as a B2B demand gen agency. And where, what we're embarking on and what we're about to do is convert to a revenue R&D laboratory by doing these couple of things. The first thing that we've done, it's done, is that we've built a product called The Vault. It's a, it's a research and intellectual property library that spins out all of the work that we do with customers and all the learnings from that, and then allows companies to buy access to that IP and then activate it in their company without hiring our services firm. We have a Salesforce application, a native Salesforce application that's in beta right now with about four to five enterprise SaaS companies. And this app is going to, it, it automates data and processing. It completes full life cycle tracking. It uh, processes hybrid, hybrid attribution. So companies install hybrid attribution. It does all of the automation, categorization, visualization for that. It will provide dashboards for you to know whether your Google ads are providing a, a, a proper return on ad spend or not, how to measure your, your things like LinkedIn ads. And so we've created this automated Salesforce app that companies can install, configure, and then have data in a way that doesn't impact their overall instance. They don't need to change their sales process or things like that. It just standardizes the data in a way that helps people understand how to make better decisions in my experience. And so those two products being added to the mix that come along with our exclusive experimentation lab, we only work with 40 customers inside of the lab. We have, I think probably about 60 or 70 of the most talented demand marketers and, and revenue revenue R&D professionals across all of these different specialties and functions. And we integrate with your company and we help your company adopt a revenue R&D mindset. We need to have the right measurement. We need to update our processes so we can track these things. We need to have a clear way to understand what's working and what's not. And we need someone to help guide us from the outside on how to get from point A to point B to where we can be self-sufficient and operate this internally. Because if I was the CEO of my customer, 
I'd be figuring out as quickly as possible how to make a revenue R&D function because it's going to give you as good of a significant advantage as having the best developers. And so like, I, I don't know what else to say here. The, to me, it's so crazy. It's like the first time I'm saying it publicly. And to me, it's already a foregone conclusion. People are going to do this. This function is going to get adopted um, because it makes logical sense. And I've spent the last six years inside of companies watching hundreds of them make the same mistakes have the same arguments, see the same misalignments, build the same stupid reports. Um, and so I just feel very clear that uh, that the market will adopt this and it'll be a huge step forward in the quote unquote marketing, which I'm calling the revenue R&D world. It'll be a huge step forward. Well, 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 well I don't, I like your, your mindset and what you're, what you're saying, because I do think that marketing as it currently is with a lot of companies is broken. It's broken. And that's why I feel like still that the term marketing it's such a negative term for so many people. They're literally CEOs are like, ah, you marketers, you marketers, right? Yeah. Notice like in I, my notice in my model, there's not a single word of marketing in any of the any of the functions. I've taken so, it out of mine. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've taken it out of mine because it, it's such a negative connotation. But one question I asked a second ago, and I I want you to, to if you can even ballpark this. So a lot of CEOs have no clue how much they should invest in marketing and advertising like a dollar amount, right? And there's studies out there that show this, that, whatever. But I want to get your idea of what you're seeing out there and what your opinion is on marketing investment, marketing slash advertising investment for a company so that these CEOs listening have a better understanding of like, listen, your, your marketing budget is a fraction of what it should be. Like, you know, I have so many conversations with these smaller companies and their their marketing budgets and their investments are a joke. They're literally, I mean, some of them are are zero. Some of them are literally zero. So what would you say, literally, and what I want to get out, out of your, your mouth even is a dollar amount, percentage, yep. whatever sure. it is. So um, first off, the idea of that you spend 6% on marketing right now and that you and it's not working and you're going to grow it to 12% makes absolutely no sense. And so the investment should be should be appropriate to the outcomes. Um, and so I'll give a couple of different ways to look at this. And then if you press me, I'll give you a dollar figure. And so um, the first thing is we need to stop looking at this like it's the marketing and the sales budget and start looking at it as a total commercial budget. And out of that, we have to do a multitude of things. We have to create demand, we have to capture demand, and then we need to convert demand into paying customers. And so, and then we need to allocate the budget in the right places between those three things to get the result that we want. What companies do right now is they spend 60% of the budget in converting demand, aka sales, and they spend 40% of the budget in capturing demand, Google ads, SEO, SEM, review sites trade show booths, sponsorships, all that type of stuff. And maybe they'll spend one to two, three percent on creating demand or what would they would they just throw it away on PR or other things and don't really give it any look. And then the whole business suffers and the entire engine is super inefficient because the one part of the process isn't being invested in or focused on. And so I I think you should look at it in those three buckets and scrutinize how it's being spent in those three. And it'll illuminate exactly what I told you. Almost no investment goes into creating demand, which then makes your the, your, the, the investment in converting demand so much less productive and so much more expensive to run. Um, and so I just look at this. I did process optimization inside of a huge manufacturing facility in 2013. And this is 
This is basic Lean Six Sigma process optimization. Look at the process, understand where the value is driven to the customer, understand where the gap is by looking at the whole system, not a little piece of the system. And you arrive at the idea of, we need to figure out how to get net new buyers that want to buy our stuff. So um, that's, and then I'll, I want to talk through, I'm not going to give a dollar figure, but I'm going to talk through how I did it at my company along the way. And I think this is for a company starting out, I think this is a model. And I think for a company that's already out there, it may not be the perfect example for you, but I think you can learn something from it. When I started the company, my company, I was the investment in what most people would call marketing today. And I needed to figure out how to drive customers for my business on my own so that I understand it. Because I'm not going to be, be able to hire someone to run my LinkedIn content if I don't know how to run it and I've never done it. I'm just basically like hoping that they can do it. And so it was my job to figure out how is LinkedIn going to work. I spent the first 12 months of my company only marketing on LinkedIn. I posted almost every day. It was just me. Six months in, the company's doing 40, 50K a month in revenue. And I'm hiring a videographer to go out and figure out how do we move from text to video because a bunch of people were copying and plagiarizing my work, to be frank. So I'm going to go to video because you're not going to copy that. I did video for the next six months. And now the company's doing, you know, over seven figures, doing seven figures. We have four people working here. And now I'm bringing in someone that's going to produce our podcast and manage all of our live events. And I had a marketing manager here that was doing that. Angelica, she was awesome. And now we have LinkedIn, a podcast, live events and a community started and we're a year into our company and we invest my time and 20k a month in quote unquote marketing and at at my time and and almost zero dollar investment in programs for the, the majority of the first time we're doing seven figures in revenue because the message works and the distribution works the idea that spending more money gets you more results, I think is totally flawed. I think some of the most inefficient companies are the biggest ones in marketing. Yep. Huge teams, they're all siloed into one thing or into different little parts. Um, the company's big, so they're getting organic market demand in an established category anyway. Marketing just happens to get a couple of touch points along the way, but is not actively driving net new buyers to the business. Um, and so, yeah, that's... Uh, in a nutshell, kind of how I think about it. No, no, I think that's cool. Cause you know, I mean like the small business association says five to 7% of gross revenues, just like as a ballpark. Okay. Cause for me, a lot of times I'll talk to a CEO that really literally has no idea uh, of any kind of a ballpark of what should you invest to grow your business. Right. And, and so I mean, like, I'm, I'm in a different spot on this one. I'm like, if you don't, if you're the CEO and you don't know, you need to go figure out how to, how to know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you need to get in there doing things to learn. This is, if you plan on being a, if you're going to retire in three years, maybe you don't need this, but if you're going to be CEO for the next seven to 15 or more years, and that's what you want to do. And you want to build a big company, you got to figure this shit out. You have to be able to know how to do this, to communicate with customers, to build a community, to use that to harvest insights for your product and your category and your strategy. Me being in there is the fuel, is the fire to driving our strategy forward. It's how we got to revenue R&D. I spent so much time in Salesforce instances with customers in, my, in the community that I built with thousands of people at the hundreds of live events that I've done. And all of that different stuff is driving demand and interest in the business, but it's also pushing back out. Here's where our strategy should go. 
Um, and so like, I, I think, I, I think the best CEOs are ones that can understand every function in the business that are important to the business's strategy. Do I need to be the best at legal? No, legal is not that important to our business right now. It's just protecting our business, but product, customer success, customer journey design, category design, revenue R&D, so product development and software engineering. These are the things that I need to be an expert in so that I have I know I have the right people so that I can lead the I can look at it make a holistic picture for the business. And so I would push this back on CEOs like if you got to get in there and start doing some things, right? Like um so that's that's what I would rec I I honestly would recommend that. An actionable thing if you're a CEO like you could leave here today or when you're listening to this, you could go to LinkedIn. You could, you could, even if you have almost no connections, you could say, Hey, uh, Hey world, I am taking on a new strategy where I'm going to do live events where you can show up and ask me any question about X category that we play in. And all I wanted, it's just free consulting. I just want to help you. And you know, it, it'll be, I hope you be, I hope you can be there. It's at Thursday at 11 AM. And then you show up and, and four people are there, but you have four people there that are interested in what you're saying and you got to start somewhere. And if sure. you, can't, you can't make four people happy at your thing, then when you're not going to make hundreds of people happy when they show up. And so you got four people and then go through that process. I did one-on-ones. I, I did one-on-one -on -one consulting, recorded it, made a podcast out of it. Um, and so like you can do something so simple, which is helping your target customers and helping your network which also spins back to you content strategy, market insights, content that you can produce and just start start to see how it feels. I've shown CEOs and PhD scientists and medical researchers this process and I can watch the light bulb go off when they show up at an event where there's people there that they respect and respect them back and are interested in what they have to say and you just have this like wow, like what like why, why don't I do this once a week? This is amazing. So that's if you want something tactical as a CEO, that's what I would do. Um, from a from a budget allocation standpoint, like I'm I'm really not pressed to put a number on this. I what I will say is that um, companies underspend in what they call marketing because they overspend in sales, and so and like in 2005, the allocation that shows up in these reports is probably the way that it should have been. But we're in 2022 now, and the way that buyers are changing is starting to sort of flip. That needs to be a lot more, you know, internet oriented, not one and one to many oriented. There's so much scale in the internet that going through sales like it's 2005 is just super highly inefficient. So, yeah. You know, one thing you said that I thought was critical that I that I want to kind of pull back out is you said the CEO should be in there and understand these different facets of the business. And actually put themselves out there. And I talk about that a lot, right? Which is stop hiding behind your company. And that's kind of the phrase I use, right? Which is even to the point of you get on a website and this, there's, there's no picture of the CEO on the about page. There's no nothing. And I'm like, people want to know who's running this company. Like, I mean, and especially now with personal branding being so explosive that I, and, and what you just said, I thought was really, really good, which is for the CEO to get on LinkedIn. And literally get on, even if they've not used LinkedIn in years, you know, and, and they got to dust it off, get in there and make an announcement and start putting themselves out there in the public. And, and I love that, that the idea of ask me any questions, anything like that, right? Where 
it, it allows the CEO to, to not, not only talk about their expertise and be a thought leader, but it's exposure for the company. And, and so if, if four people showed up, there's probably a good chance out of the four that one might be a new client, right? So it's, it's a numbers game. And it, the more you do it, the more leverage you create. So I thought that was great that you said that because I really feel like a lot of CEOs are not doing that right now. Yeah. And look, like maybe you're the CEO of a company that you didn't found and your business sells to, you know, aerospace engineers and you're, you have no expertise in aerospace engineering. Like you can still be out there and talk about how to build a great company and innovate on products and, and do the right thing for customers. It doesn't have to be necessarily, it's, it's preferred if it's in the area of expertise of your target customer, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Stability yeah. alone drives a lot of positive outcomes. And then you, if you can figure out the distribution, which is the, the hard part today, then it's easy to slot in a new content and message with experts. You, you, know, you the CEO, could be interviewing your target customers. You could be interviewing experts and researchers in the field and guiding them down a story track that aligns with your business's narrative. So like I... I uh, yeah, I think a CEO should definitely be taking those steps. I just wanted to hedge there because a lot of people might feel like, oh, I'm not an expert in aerospace engineering or neon. That was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, would you say if they if they picked any platform, and again, honestly, depending on the vertical, it could differ a little bit, but would you say to a CEO listening, get on LinkedIn, get get more active on LinkedIn, at least have a presence on LinkedIn. Would you agree with that? <sighs> In most, I, I imagine that there are some industries, e-com, like you know, direct to consumer. There are there are industries where there would be a probably a better preferred platform than sure. LinkedIn right now. But if you are in B two B, regardless of what job title you sell into, LinkedIn is the B two B infrastructure that runs business development today. Not saying that the business development in the way that you thought about it of like, let's just send spam message, automated messages yeah. and DMs, but like real, how business development used to work in the 1990s when you flew out there somewhere, you had dinner with someone, you talked about things, and then you left. And then six months later, they're like, hey, we're going into 20, you know, we're planning a year out for 2024 and we want to talk about changing our supplier. We've been in the three year contract. We want to change to you. That's what link. That's what LinkedIn does. That's what the business development there. People know that you're there. They're aware of you. Maybe they don't have the trigger or the need to to engage with you right now, but if you do the work right, when they realize that they have the business problem that they already know that you can solve because you've educated them along the way, they're not going to go to Google and search how do I solve this or the best consultant for this or things like that. They're going to go straight to you. They're going to DM you. And they're going to say, hey, it's time for us to start thinking about working together. Here's my situation. And I know this because it happens to me five or 10 times a week. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think LinkedIn, I think so many CEOs are, are missing the boat on LinkedIn completely. And I've got a couple of clients that are, are slowly coming around and I'm saying, let's get in there, get in. And so even to the point where, depending on the size of your company, bring somebody on that's a LinkedIn expert, whether that's internal, in-house or not, right? So, I mean, because a lot of CEOs will play that, that card of, I don't know, no, LinkedIn, I don't know what I'm doing. A majority, I'm comfortable saying this, a majority of the CEOs or executives that are listening to this have never experienced the magic of quote unquote marketing working. So they don't really know what it feels like or how it works or the 
tremendous energy boost that it gives to your entire organization when things roll like this. And so when they think about LinkedIn, they're like, oh, it's LinkedIn. Like, yeah, we I can post once a week and it'll be fine. And we can do one event. And once you've seen it before, once you've experienced what I've experienced, like I've experienced this multiple times before in my career, and then it's 2019. I'm a one-person company. I post on LinkedIn. Almost nobody sees it. I do that for six months and then boom, things hit. And from there on, for the past three and a half years, I have put content out almost every day, the best yep. video content on that platform, aggressively using it. Because when you find something that works, you need to make it work. I don't know yeah. what I don't know what else to say, right? And other people right. like, oh, let's just put, you know, 20K over here and 30K over here, and we'll have a portfolio and we'll spread them out. And it's like, no. The real objective of revenue R and D find the pro the, find the magic thing that's happening right now and then crush it and then once you know how to crush that on a repeatable basis go run more experiments and do the same thing and then all of a sudden two and a half years later you got five things you got LinkedIn podcast events community YouTube TikTok all going at the same time and your business destroys like yep. that that's when you get six new features into your product over a, a two year period of time and you crush everyone else and so i'm just trying to help people see that like we're this isn't arts and crafts this isn't matt this isn't like this isn't running performance marketing to get mql so that your sales team can win one of a thousand people that you collect as an mql it's about driving the fucking business right when you said a key phrase but i'm going to reword it to the name of my book over here, this yellow one right here, dominate your market, yeah. dominate your market, right? I mean, that's what this is all about, really. You know, and I think a lot of people, that's why I wrote the book to begin with, was getting the CEOs in a mindset of what, what does it take from an emotional standpoint, even a physical standpoint, physical standpoint to dominate your market. So that's why I wrote this yellow yeah. book behind me here. But, but hey, Chris, yeah, thank I you. Write, uh, sorry to interrupt. I might write the, the, the uh, prequel to your book, which is create your market. Um, I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really boom, boom, boom. it first and then dominate it afterwards. Cause I really Damn. think it's a, it's a huge thing. And the only way that you truly create a market a lot of people go back, they hire a category design agency, they interview a few customers and they pick some random term like AI <clears throat> revenue and they call it a thing. Like the way that you get to create a market is you spend years in that market, really understanding it, tweaking, um, and so I think that there's a huge opportunity. You don't have to do it all. And then you can't sell your product until you create your market. You can do it along the way, but I think it's something that people should be striving for. Like, um, what I've presented here today and what my company is thinking, I see it with such strategic clarity. Like there's nothing else out there like this. Go find a demand gen agency that has built a native Salesforce app to track all your data in a standardized way. Go find, yeah. go find a demand gen agency that publishes all of their IP and it sells that to the market so that if you wanted to, you could take your internal team and take the IP and never hire us. No demand gen agency is going to do that because they want to no. get the revenue for the services. Sure. And so like I am making intentional choices. We don't let companies start with us anymore. If they want to spend more than $50,000 in advertising per program, I don't allow it anymore. We tell them to go and find an agency because all that does is you just ramp up spend in four months, the customer acquisition cost alarms are going off and yep. it just sets the whole thing up for a complete failure. And so I yep. make, I'm, I've made intentional decisions about the things that we're going to do and the things that we're not going to do because 
up until this point, I've let the market categorize my company as a B2B demand gen agency, and it's destroyed all of the mm -hmm. amazing things that we can do for companies because they put us into a category and they treat us like that. And so it's my job as the CEO of this company to know how much more capable, my, effectively, my company, my company and resources and strategy are underutilized to communicate this to the market so that they can effectively decide, do I need a revenue R&D lab or do I need a demand gen agency? And we can help them decide that. Um, so I, I like creating your market requires making choices like that. No one's looking for a revenue R&D lab. I'd make more revenue next year selling selling things as a B2B demand gen agency for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm making I'm I make long-term choices because I'm a strategist. I want to do things different. I'm I am mission driven. I want this market, I want marketing as a profession. I want I want all these things to change. Um and so that's the, these are the things that are necessary for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can hear it in your tone, your conviction, your passion. It's it's super cool to hear somebody talk like you because really, I mean, you are you kind of you're leading the way um, with your company. And I think a lot of the and a lot of marketers listen to this podcast. So let's just keep it real here. So a lot of people are going to be listening, going, "Wow, you know, he, what he said was," and they're probably taking notes like crazy. So um, I think everything you said today is awesome. We need to wrap this up. But one cool. thing I want to say real quick that I thought was really cool. So I got on your website, of course, beautiful website, blah, 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 all that stuff. But you had a pricing page. And I thought that was amazing because I think, you know, this is, have you ever heard of the, heard of the guy, Marcus Sheridan, the content marketing guy, Marcus Sheridan? So yes. Marcus Sheridan for 20 years has been screaming from the rooftop, tell people your price for 20 years. And, and most companies are going to say, no, 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 I don't want to have a race to the bottom. No way. I'm not playing that game. But I, I was very pleasantly and refreshed to come, get on your website and see a pricing page. So tell me real quick before we wind down, what was your thought process behind putting that? Was that a pre-qualifier? Was that like more to get people like, listen, if you don't play in this, this game here, we're probably not a fit for you. It's because people want to know before they talk to us. It's not complicated. In 2015, I did a survey with 500 of our target customers. And I said, when do you want to talk to a sales rep? And what steps do you want to complete before you engage with a sales professional at a company when Beautiful. you buy stuff like this? And what they said is, I want to talk to a peer at another facility. I want to read the clinical data and science around it. And I had a third one, but I forgot it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> it just escaped my mind. Oh, uh, and I want to know what the price is. Price, price. And I, so I, and I want to know what the pricing is before I before I engage with sales. And so all I did was just listen to what people were saying, understanding that I talked to hundreds of people, and all the people say the same thing. And so it's like, and the reason that companies don't do it is because they don't have enough confidence that their marketing, right, the product strategy and innovation can sell the product. That's it. It's insecurity. Like, yep. And so like they are like, we are, we're not if people look at our website and they know that this is six thousand dollars a month, they're never gonna hire us. We need to hide the price. We need to try and have them book a meeting or we can have them fill out an ebook and then we can cold call them. <laughs> and then when we get them into a meeting, we'll show some value first yeah, so yeah. that we can provide value with our seller talking to someone that doesn't want to buy. And then then they'll want to pay the six thousand dollars. 
And it just doesn't like, work that way. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it, it's, it's totally not customer centric and it simply exposes the reality that you don't have enough confidence that your website can sell as well as your, as your seller, your website needs to be your best sales professional. You can think through all the messaging. You can put multimedia content mm-hmm. assets. You can get people into your product on their own. Your website has to be your most effective sales rep today. You just said something that everybody should hear right there. The website. You, I mean, and I'm sure you've done this. I've been on phone calls with $20 million companies, $30 million companies that have a 10-year-old website with broken pages, broken features. I mean, and, and I've done Zoom calls with CEOs of $20, 30000000 million, com- smaller companies, but still $20 or $30 million company. And literally, you know, hey, Joe, Mr. CEO, I clicked this link and he's watching me do the whole thing. So you just said something that's so huge. People, your website, your website can do 80% of the selling for you. And people's websites are an afterthought for most companies. Yeah. For some, for some of the more old school CEOs, maybe you were you run a manufacturing company or something like that. Let me tell you a story about something that we I did in 2013 and 14. Um, we were a 10, nine, $10 million sensor company, and we sold 99% of revenue through OEM. So we we rebranded or put it into someone else's machine and we had no direct to consumer presence. We actually let me take that back. There was a big OEM, but we had a distribution model that was maybe 30 or 40%. Um and that's so that we would pat we would sell bring the sensor to a, our distributor in Atlanta. We would charge them $40 and then they would mark it up and sell it for 140. And I'm like, why are we giving them there's so much margin to just sit here in the middle and do nothing. Why don't we, instead of having them sell it, why don't we have our website sell it? Why don't we create our own brand around this? And so I helped the company re rebrand, rethink about what they're doing, build the sensors that were unique, sell them direct to consumer on the website at significantly higher profitability and margin. And then you have an asset. Then you start to like a lot of companies in this, this space are handcuffed by their distribution model. They can't go direct to consumer because they've been in distribution for so long and they can't break it because there's short-term revenue pain. And so they just get stuck there and they refuse to have a direct to consumer motion that is required for success in the future. And so like when, and if you can get a direct to consumer motion working as one of these companies and the revenue starts to outpace distributors, then you have leverage over distribution. Um, and so I think as a strategist, that was a kind of a weird tangent to end this, but maybe we can do one more question. But no. like as a strategist, if you do not have a direct relationship with your customer, you are vulnerable. Well, and I would agree with that. But but it just it kind of goes back to circling back to the phrase of your website. And that really is basic, basic, you know, marketing for a CEO to listen to is go pull up your website and tell me how you feel when you start clicking around it. Right. So, I mean, and, and I, I just think so many people discount the value of a website, but Chris, mm-hmm. we need to, we need to wrap this up, cool. but, but here's the thing. So if people want to find out about you, your company, so give us any of your contact information as far as website URLs, anything you're comfortable giving out. Um, sure. So if you want to learn more about Refine Labs and the things that we're doing in terms of our products and other things, then you can visit refinelabs.com. And if you want to follow along, I host the Revenue Vitals podcast. That's Revenue Vitals podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any place like that. Um, honestly, a lot of my great content right now is coming out of TikTok. So if you want to follow me and see what it's like to run, have a B2B professional run a TikTok channel in a unique way. I did the same thing in LinkedIn with 2019. The people that followed along with me on LinkedIn ended up being pretty successful. So I'd recommend if you want to be on the next one to maybe 
pay a little bit of attention to what I'm doing there and then start to try and replicate it for yourself and your company. And then LinkedIn is a staple for me again, Chris Walker 171. I post content there and that is mainly B2B revenue oriented content. So now as I the the properties are building, I actually have different content types in, in different platforms. So feel free to look around and see what is most relevant for you right now. And I hope it helps. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me and look forward to being back again soon. You got it, bud. See you. You've just listened to the Dominate Your Market podcast with CEO, business consultant, and author, Michael Peterson. Growth-minded CEOs hire Michael to explode their revenues, build an amazing company, and create a transformational mindset that encapsulates growth, success, and ultimately, happiness. His book, Dominate Your Market, is creating quite a stir in the marketplace. Go to dominateyourmarketbook.com and get your first chapter free.